Hey, that logo says Bronze and Modern Gods. That means that's this show, and I am John. And I'm Richard. Just a reminder, we are not on Telegram. If you get any messages from anyone saying, message me, text me on Telegram, tell them where to go. I think we handled it. I think we banned yeah, think so the uh, scammy. Uh, no, we're not on Snapchat either. So if you see <laughs> requests from Snapchat from one of us, you're not going to see anything that you really want to see. We are, however, on Friendster and MySpace, if you see us there. Uh, in the meantime, why don't you follow us where we really are at uh, Facebook and Instagram I'm Bron- at Bronze and Modern Gods or the website bronzeandmoderngods.com. For all the new people, hi, welcome. Uh, if you like this video, please hit like. And if you hate it, hit subscribe. We don't care. Uh, if you just hate it, hit subscribe. <laughs> yeah. Why not? Sure. <laughs> Let's see who falls for that. You know how we do this. If you're a regular, we've got our underrated books of the week, the 25-year rule where we head back to 1997, and we have a lot of viewer mail today, but let's get started with our hot book of the week, Richard. What is it? Our hot book this week is Fear Number 10, or some people Ooh. call it Adventure into Fear. <laughs> this, is the, this is the first solo man thing. His first comic book appearance was as a guest star in uh, the Kazar strip in Astonishing Tales number 12. Can I derail you for a second? Sure. Astonishing Tales, Kazar. Started off with uh, Dr. Doom in the split book for the first eight issues. Do you have yeah, those? I do. Okay. So I just want, I, we, I've never heard you talk about the first Dr. Doom solo series in Astonishing Tales. So I'm just curious if you had those. I think I have all of them at this point. Hey, why are we talking about this, John? We're talking about Man Thing. <laughs> uh, yeah, this book this book is penciled by Howard Chaikin, which I was really surprised. Um, I haven't seen any of his early works, and this is uh, this is definitely something different. Well, here is the thing: Howard Chaikin was doing really rough layouts then. He was working for DC on a book called Sword and Sorcery, and uh, according to the Grand Comics database, this was laid out by Howard Chaikin and inked by Gray Morrow. And if you know Gray Morrow's work, boy, he smothers pencils. Uh, Howard Chaikin seems to always get smothered by inkers like Tony Duzingia, however you say his name, Tom Palmer. Uh, but yeah, this apparently was penciled by Howie. Yeah, and uh, what's the what's the reason why there's uh, interest behind this book right now, John? It's the first solo appearance of the Man Thing. Uh, it is not the first Steve Gerber issue, who is the writer most closely associated with the Man Thing. That would be the next issue, issue eleven, and uh, this was the beginning of his uh, solo series. I love the fact that they gave an unthinking, unfeeling, no dialogue sh- swamp creature his own series, but. <laughs> I'll be darned if Steve Gerber didn't find a way to make it run for a few years. Uh, so people are picking this up because we know man thing is going to be part of werewolf by night on Disney plus next uh, month. How much of a part of that? We don't know yet, but this is a tough booking grade. Uh, yeah. Uh, the, there is uh, really few books in the high grades for sale. Um, there was a 9.8 sale uh, earlier this May for 3120. Mm-hmm. Um, but a more recent 9.6 sale this month went for 23.69. So I, I think if a 9.8 was to come up now, we'd see some gains in that book. Out of 435 copies of this on the CGC census, only 15 of those are 9.8s. And I imagine a few of those are in the 
hands of picture frame collectors because this is one of those infamous Marvel picture frame covers. So lots of lots of reasons to like this book. I have to ask you, is Man Thing a direct copy of Swamp Thing? Well, Swamp Thing was first, I believe House of Secrets uh, 92 came first, but it was it was like a dead heat because uh, Man Thing, of course, first appeared in Savage Tales, number one. So uh, I've read stuff in the past uh, from, you know, people that were involved back then that it was just one of those massive coincidences. If you want to really get technical, they're both ripoffs of The Heap, which was a character (laughs) from the 40s. So, you know, I don't think anybody's going to get into too much of a, a debate over who came first when... It's kind of the same thing with Doom Patrol and the X-Men. You know, they mm-hmm. kind of came out the same time. They were both being worked on at the same time. And, you know, it's just one of those comic book coinkydinks. Time to head over to your favorite topic and mine, viewer mail. You've got mail. Let's start off with a really excellent, lengthy piece of viewer mail from the user who calls himself Only Grodd. Surely not the super intelligent gorilla from Gorilla City, Richard. Gorilla Grodd. I know. Uh, obviously taking us to task over our disbelief that that Captain Marvel Jr. that's being auctioned this week is truly a CGC 9.9. By the way, the auction's only at 5,700 with two days left. I wonder what it's really going to go for. But Grodd writes, first, the crux of your argument on the channel here seems to be more focused on the impossibility of a 9.9 and the comparison to modern books. These both couldn't be farther from the truth. Books denoted mint from some of these collections were noted by third-party graders long before CGC. It's not just a CGC grading phenomena. Karma Book Marketplace and the Comics Buyer's Guide is a goldmine of great articles pre-CGC. Mint Golden Age books, while quite rare, most certainly exist. I've owned one or two myself over the years. Second, this book was graded when CGC was new during the year 2000. During that time, CGC tended to have more detailed grader notes, especially for the much higher graded books. I can't say how bad that right bottom front corner crease was or the top back cover small crunch as it's very hard to see on the scan. I can see what looks like a very slight bindery tear at the top back cover. CGC is very loose on that type of defect as that is considered more of a factory in the process type of defect. Maybe that's why they're, maybe that's what they're talking about. Not sure unless I see the book in hand. I'm speculating a bit here. Now, that's not to say there are some very poorly graded 9.8 or 9.9s out there. We've all seen bad examples from CGC, and I don't always agree to some of the more consistent loose gradings surrounding certain defects either. Over the years, CGC standards have most certainly loosened and tightened depending on the year. Best. First off, I want to thank Grodd for this comment. I thought it was great. I thought it was very nice and respectful way of saying you guys are full of it. Um, I have no problem with that. It's when people drive by and be like, you're morons. And they, and I'm like, okay, how are we morons? Tell us how. And then no reply to that. That doesn't work. This works. Um, I agree. Grod, uh, grading, comparing the grading of a golden age book to a modern book was wrong. Whether we know this officially or not, we know they are indeed graded differently. There is that golden age curve, right? Richard. Oh, you're going to make me talk, aren't you? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you have feelings about this. I do. Uh, do. You're you're very binary here. I I am an engineer by trade. 
I deal in absolutes. Um, I don't deal deal in uh, a lot of human um, objective uh, numbers, let's say. So to me, if it says it's five inches long, it's five inches long, whether it's hey. today or if it was made 50 years ago. Um, but but that's that's taking taking it from an engineering standpoint. And and one of the things that I realized as we've been talking through this and, and thank you, Grod, for your comment, it, it def, definitely helped me think about this, is that these books are not graded by computers, at least not yet. These books are graded by people and um, those people have flexibility in what they consider to be uh, flaws and what the boundaries of a particular grade are. Um, and that seems to be um, historically very lenient for golden age books. And, and, and for some, I can understand why they're, they're very rare, especially in the higher grades. And they want to reward those books that do make it to those higher grades. My concern though, is what happens if, you know, this book that we're talking about had, um, had a dust shadow and it had some other flaws in it, which uh, it still got a 9.9. I'm not, I'm, you know, it got that grade. So I'm not debating that, but what happens when a book comes, you know, somebody finds a book that doesn't have dust shadow and it doesn't have those, those uh, flaws in it. Is it a 10? Is it a 10.5? Um, you run into the risk when you, when you do grade on a curve that something is going to break your curve in the future. And, you know, that's, that's what I'm, I'm thinking from, from these books, you know, the, you know, I also have to acknowledge CGC um, is just one in, you know, entity when it comes to grading. And, and there was, there was life before CGC. And as, as, as Rod says correctly, I mean, we saw these articles back in the day about the mile high and Edgar church stuff. Yeah, for sure. Oh, sure. And, and we live kind of in a bubble here thinking, you know, CGC is the our ultimate arbiter of, of these grades. And it's not, it's just the most recent. And, you know, the, the different, the different grading scales that have been uh, around uh, since, you know, collection has been uh, collecting comics has been a thing um, would definitely, uh, you know, these golden age books benefit from, from that curve. This is an honest question. This is not, you know, uh, confrontational. Tell me this, you guys, I, this is an honest question for me. We all say, oh, we know that these golden age books are graded on a different curve and a different standard. Can someone point to some sort of official statement from CGC on their policy here? Because, I mean, it's something we all, quote, know, but this points back to the lack of transparency in CGC's grading policies. And, you know, I'm asking, is there something out there where they've come out and said, yes, we do this? Um, back to this book specifically. The Captain Marvel Jr. 9.9 .9 book. How can a book with a small crunch on the back cover, per the grader's notes, be a 9.9 .9 in any age? I'm, I, I, I don't have the book in hand. We've not seen a scan of the interior cover. Uh, I, is the crunch just on the outer cover? Did that happen magically somehow? I don't know. Um, but doesn't that give you pause? But it does, yeah. Rod, good point on the bindery tear. Maybe they're considering that the bindery tear, you know, because these are old graders' notes from the year 2000. Another point, this book was obviously reholdered because it's got a new label. Uh -huh. How can this book have been reholdered and kept the same grade in notes from the year 2000? Can you get away with that, Richard, if you reholder uh, a book? No, I probably not. Um, 
this book, no. like 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 a lot of the high grade uh, books that CGC grades from from different um, pedigrees and other high end books, it's the CGC's benefit to grade these books as high as possible because it gives them credibility as a platform. So. Short of a bullet hole in the cover of this thing, um, it was not going to get any grade other than what it originally had. Um, well, you're speculating now. Let's be fair. Yeah, that's um, true. This is this all speculation. Was, yeah, Because this book was graded in the year 2000. Now, do they have an impetus to keep that grade in the year 2022? Maybe. You know, it's gotten some press. It's yeah. gotten some notoriety out there. So maybe so. Um one another thing that you guys pointed out uh, is where I said something about that the interior cover dictates the grade. We talk off the top of our heads here, guys. We don't have a script. We have some notes, but we don't have a script. And yes, of course, I know that the entire book is taken into account when it's given a grade. And in fact, I even said not only does the interior cover have to be a 9.9, but every single interior page as well. I did make that point. But after all these comments from us we hear you we know when we're possibly wrong my only question and my only request to you guys is when we're wrong tell us why don't just say you guys are idiots morons newbies whatever why and if you can't answer that maybe rethink it all right moving on to more viewer mail richard what is your first piece of viewer mail uh, my first piece is from jimmy lee uh, what would be interest, interesting is if a grading company could grade a comic so you could still read it, like putting a protective plastic on each page so you can turn the pages. That would be a cool idea. I, I, I don't see that being practical um, because it would still be flexible and potentially damaged from, um, from the, the use of it. You know, you're still turning, you're still flexing that spine. And, um, you know, some books just can't handle that. I could right. see, though, in the process of doing grading, um, grading companies scanning each page of the book and providing um, a PDF or some other kind of interactive digital version of the original book. Um, you know, they're counting the pages and they're flipping through the book um, to validate it's all there. You, you look that very scared out of me. That scares me. I, we're getting finger bend notes now with them just counting the pages. God forbid they start. <laughs> slamming down on scanners uh because yeah, they're I, I, you know i don't think maybe everyone would want that i mean if, if you had a book that is a family heirloom for example your dad gave it to you you just want to protect it but you still want to have an opportunity to read it i i wouldn't mind uh, taking the chance to have someone full you know scanning each individual pages they have professional archival quality book scanners that can can handle this with minimal amount of damage to the book and you know maybe somebody would benefit from something like that let's also keep in mind it's 2022 and most of these books have been scanned already if you know yeah. where to look you can find scans of everything so they have um, but they, you know they don't have you know the the coupon that was filled up by your dad you no, know or the letters pages. I, letters pages. I want the letters pages i want the bullpen <laughs> bullpens you know i do want yeah. those yeah uh my first piece of viewer mail is from Thomas Johnson, who emailed us at bronzeandmoderngods at gmail.com. Gentlemen, in a similar vein to comics being deconstructed or slabbed by CGC as single pages, a comparable thing has been happening since 2014 with comic book issues 
being cut to ribbons in order to make trading cards featuring original comic panels. It appears credit is due to Rittenhouse Archives being the first to run with the idea of making unique insert cards for products they released beginning in 2014. The Upper Deck Company then picked up the scissors for their 2017 Spider-Man Fleer Ultra cards, cutting away at a range of 23 issues from Amazing Spider-Man number 3 to 700, Secret Wars 8, and Ultimate Fallout 4. Sorry, Richard. <laughs> they make for interesting trading cards, but the comic collector in me feels bad about the fate of the Golden Age and Silver Age comics that I wish were complete and in my collection. I am indifferent when it comes to comics of a more recent vintage. What are your opinions? Here are a couple examples. Here, Here's an Avengers one where they actually cut a panel out of a Silver Age Avengers issue and slammed it into a card. Here is a Golden Age example from Captain America comics. They cut up the following Golden Age books to do this. All Winners Comics, number seven and eight. Captain America Comics, 34, 35, and 44. Human Torch, number 15 and number 36. And Men's Adventures, number 27. Oh, Holy crap! How do we not know this was happening? I uh, Blissfully? <laughs> That's all I have to say. I also say I have to say, Thomas Johnson, uh, you are a great writer. I love the imagery you built with these pick up the scissors for their 2017 Spider-Man Fleer Ultra Comics. Um, very lyrical. I, I, I just don't understand. Well, I can't, I can't understand because people, there are different people out there, different types of collectors. Some people are really attracted to this kind of stuff. And there are people who will serve that market by taking these rare books and chopping them to pieces to sell them piecemeal to the people who are out there. Obviously, there's, so, there's like I said, a market for this. It's not the market that I want to support. But, you know, if that's your thing and you're collecting and you want to collect these pieces of comic books, then that's that's on you. But me personally, I think this is defacing comics in general. I mean, let's speculate. Why not? This is an entertainment podcast, people. Speculation happens. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained yet? <laughs> Let's just assume the all winners number seven was already shredded to bits. No covers. It's missing six wraps. Mm -hmm. uh, a rat chewed it. I would still want it complete as much as it was. I wouldn't want it cut up. Am I old? Am I old fashioned? Am I, am I not looking at the future here? I'm open to hearing dissent. Well, we talked about this last time. Um, you're a comic book collector. You collect comic books. You don't collect pieces of comic books. Uh, you know, it's it's like like people who uh, collect racehorses. You don't collect pieces of racehorses. You collect the whole thing. Um, and I you know. blue. <laughs> so you know, this this that's just not your thing. Like I say, and I don't want to impinge on anyone's view of their the hobby. Um, if that's what you do, then that's up to you. Go ahead and collect pieces of comics. That's great for you know. If it makes you happy, I personally, and John, I, I believe does as well, thinks that keeping these, these pieces of history as one unit is more beneficial than selling it piecemeal uh, and making what, what appears to be a profit. I'm going to try to look at the other side. I'm 23 years old and 
I love collecting cards and I love collecting comics. And I know I will never, ever in a million years in my 23-year-old mind be able to afford a copy of a Captain America comic from the Golden Age. Uh Would I be super excited and pumped that I got one of these cards with a piece of that book randomly? Yeah, I probably would be. Um, So I'm trying to look at the other side of it. Uh You know, I'm looking at it through my lens of today of decades of collecting and I'm going to, I'm trying to look through it from a younger perspective that maybe this would be exciting. Uh, but boy, it is just a bummer to me. It's tough. It's tough. It's tough to look at. It's tough to, you know, it's like somebody taking a, a classic Ferrari and chopping it into pieces and selling you the tire, the steering wheel, the hood. Um, you may be able to make more money that way. Um, but is it really, Sir, well, who is it serving when you do, when you do something like that? When you take a piece of, you know, a, a, cl- a classic comic book, and you dissect it and sell the pieces, um, and you know Thomas is talking about he doesn't feel the same way towards modern books, and I and I can understand that. I mean, there are, you know, one hundred and eighty thousand copies of Ultimate Fallout Four, for example. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's defacing one or two copies isn't going to be a big deal. But if you look at the census for some of those Golden Age books. You know, there is just a small number available and you are basically reducing that number of available copies by one by chopping up a book to sell it piecemeal. Wartime Captain America comics, 34, 35, 44. They are not plentiful. Yeah. Uh, there were paper drives. They, you know, the ravages of 75 years have gone by. So to cut one surviving one up in order to spur uh, sales of a car- box of cards and hope that you know you win the lottery and even that if you look this, these these cards are on ebay for 80 bucks you know so it's not like there's a lot of money involved here and boy the promotion's awful we never even heard of this <laughs> yeah, really you would think even just in horror we would have heard about it by now <laughs> right what do you guys think as always come at us in the comments let us know uh, pros and cons but I think we should go back to the Captain Marvel 9.9, Richard, with your next piece of your <laughs> uh, My next piece is from A100. Um, the Edgar Church comics were stored in ideal conditions for paper quality. This The 9.9 was a part of the Edgar Church uh, um, uh, collection. Uh, it was cool, dry, and dark, and in stacks which provided compression. All very important things for, for quality. Uh, so regardless of grade, there's no doubt that the, the CM Jr.'s uh, book's pages are like new as possible for a comic that old. No argon chamber needed. Uh, <laughs> uh, there is just likely beneficial off-gassing going on, which is also important. In the 1970s, the paper death of comics in little, uh, big little books was projected for less than 50 years in the future. Here we are in 2022. And we see that the aging uh, can, uh, can and has been slowed consider- considerably in so many cases with supper paper, supper, uh, supple paper not being unusual. Yeah, uh, this, you know, I have, I have no doubt that this book is in the upper echelon of, um, you know, golden age high-end books in general. The, the Edgar Church Collection has had so many outstanding books in it um you know like the promise collection uh it is well renowned for having and overgraded 
and <laughs> overgraded. Oops, um, sorry. No, well, um, but you know, I, I still, I still have trouble with um, considering a book that has graders notes on it as to the flaws being uh, in, you know, getting a 9.9 grade. And that's just me. Uh, you know, it's, it's something that has happened. It, it is not, it is not an outlier. There are other books um, that have gotten uh, ex extremely high grades that I would question. I have some books in my collection that I look at the grade and I go, oh, that's a gift grade. Somebody was really, somebody was really on the sauce when they graded that one. <laughs> um, but you know, it's, it's um, I have respect for the Ed Ed Edgar church books. And I think that um, it is a, a unique uh, set of circumstances that make the, the book, um, uh, you know, has preserved the book as well as it has. Um, and, you know, hopefully I would love, love, love to see, another collection show up here in the next few or few years where the books are even in better quality and, and see how uh, the, the, the grading industry deals with those books. Well, you know, we've had Chuck Rosansky from mile high on the show before mm -hmm. talked about the Edgar church discovery. Maybe we should ask him what he thinks of That's a great idea. That is, man, you are full of great ideas. You know, I was due. I was due. <laughs> My next piece of your mail is from Toby Shaver, who emailed us at uh, bronzeandmoderngods at gmail.com. Toby writes, hey, guys, love the show. Thank you, Toby. Thank you. So ever since they announced the Todd McFarlane CGC <laughs> signing, there seems to be a lot more interest in some more of his of his more iconic stuff. I've been sitting on a Batman 423. Please don't do that. Get off that. Don't sit on it. That is probably a 9.6, 9.8 candidate with the press. Seems like a good opportunity to send it in, but I don't know much about signed books and their long-term value. Can you guys share your thoughts? Well, world, you know how we feel about signed books. Um, well, maybe he doesn't. <laughs> okay. I'm not a fan of signed books. I am absolutely raising my hand and saying, I know I'm really in the minority here. Some mm -hmm. people love Stanley scribbling all over their book. I do not. Um, but you're asking me what I think about Batman 423 sending it in to get signed by Todd McFarlane. Yes. As Susie Orman would say, you are approved, approved, <laughs> approved, approved. Um, CGC 9.8, an unsigned copy. The 90 day average is $2,925. There are only 53 9.8 signed copies on the census. Now there's a little asterisk here. We don't know how many of those 53 are actually signed by Todd. A lot of them are signed by Jim Starlin, who was the writer okay. of that issue. Uh, and I don't know. It seems like that that's a really low census number for a yellow label 9.8. If a blue label 9.8 is going for almost 3K, dude, if you think this is a slam dunk 9698 with uh, Todd, you know, hopefully not ruining it when he signs it by grabbing it with his man hands. I say go for it. I, I don't, it's 120 bucks and some change to get it signed. Do it. Yeah. There seems, there's a premium for some artists uh, to sign their work. And Todd is, is definitely one of those artists. Um, I know people have, they take things that, um, you know, like uh, ASM 300, 301, uh, Spawn you know, this, uh, this Batman, there are a lot of books that people will, um, 
pay the fee that Todd charges and um, we'll make a profit on the, on the back end. I also have to say Todd is a showman. You know, I, they've televised, uh, televised, <laughs> they've screened. <laughs> they broadcast it. Broadcast, yes, on videotape. Um, they've streamed some of his signing events in the past and it is, it's, it's an event. You know, you are part of that event and you get your book signed by Todd. And um, I really just have to say he, he makes some, some of these signings I think are opportunistic. I think Todd's makes it, makes it special and he charges for it, which I have no problem uh, with. It Custom label, Todd label now. Yeah. It's, it's I, impressive. I, the only downside I possibly see here, Toby, is that 500 other people have the same idea you have. And so all of a sudden there is a flood of Batman 423 9.8 yellow labels out there. But I think this is a slam dunk 3K deal. For you. I, I, I do it. I do it. No hesitation. All right. What's your next piece of your mail? My next piece is from Ancient Comet Guy. Did I write this? <laughs> I was wondering if you did. Uh, some grail books are so expensive, most collectors cannot afford them. The mentality of buying a single page is owning a part of history is better than nothing. Um, including oddball titles such as 13 makes <laughs> a collection diversified, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, no, I, I don't, I guess I don't have a problem with collectors who are interested in collecting single pages. If that's your thing, you know, if all of a sudden there is a single page of Amazing Fantasy 15 or uh, Batman number one, and you want to buy that, that's great. If that's that, that's how you want to do your collection, that's on you because ultimately you're the person who are you're making happy with your purchases. It's the person on the other end of the transaction who may be opportunistic and taking a perfectly good, you know, Detective Comics 20, you know, 27 and <gasps> razoring it out because <sighs> he could sell it more per page than he can get for the, you know, for the whole book. Uh, that I that I, I take issue with. So if you want to collect single pages, there are books that I wouldn't mind having single pages of. And sometimes they come across and I look at them. There was a Batman three that someone had uh, six pages from there. They were all um, they were all edged. So they were smaller than it was. It was interesting. Did um, it have a purple label? No, they were just individual pages. They were just individual yeah, but they were pages. trimmed. Um, I they were trimmed, but they were loose. It was not graded. I purple label, man. If you're altering yeah. the book in it, any way, yeah, it would be purple label. Uh, but still, it was interesting. You know, it's Batman three. You know, it's I'm I'm not I'm never going to buy a Batman three. It would be nice to have it decorating my office. I saw a page from Captain America Comics number one with Red Skull on it, and I was like, I can't do it. I I don't know. I just, I, I, I would rather, I think like if that was being a thousand dollars or $3,000 for a page, I'd rather put that money away and just keep saving and trying to get a one or a 1.8. Yeah. It, it wasn't very expensive. I know. I know what I'm going to get you for, for Christmas. <laughs> Captain America comics. Number one. I'm going to get you on one, one panel at a time. I'm going to, it's going to be like, that's what it's time for the 25 year old. <laughs> Yeah, we're going to gloss right past that and go right to the 25-year-old. Richard, uh, we were texting about this earlier mm -hmm. because I've never seen this before. I have not. And 
it struck me as why isn't this book a bigger deal? It is Blade number one from 1997. This appears to be a one shot released to promote the movie with our man Wesley Snipes, famous actor, tax avoider. Uh, can't find much about this book. Uh, the listing on the Grand Comics database just has the cover and no credits. Um, some auction listings, because it's on eBay right now, they imply that it may have been a San Diego Comic-Con giveaway. There's no UPC on the front cover, so me. Mm. But let's look at this book. Cool Wesley Snipes photo cover as Wesley as Blade there, right? Yeah, I, I, I think it's great. The credits on the CGC slab, the slab copies I've seen, say this book was written by Marv Wolfman and drawn by Gene Colan. Now, those are the two that created Blade in Tomb of Dracula number 10. So is this book a reprint of like Blade stories from the 70s or is it a new story? Because both Marv and Gene were still around in 1997 doing stuff with Marvel. Even Gene Colan was doing Daredevil and things like that. Does anyone out there know anything about this book? Tell us in the comments. I do know yeah. this. A CGC 9.6 sold in March of this year for 130 bucks. I'd, like yeah, I'd love to know more. It does seem like a bargain for such a difficult book to find. Uh, you may have I've stumbled on it. it. Yeah, so let us know. This is a mystery to us. Uh, so uh, is, it a, is it a Comic-Con giveaway? Is it something that was given away in movie theaters maybe? Let us know. Please, if you know for sure. Meanwhile, it's time for underrated books of the week. Richard, what do you have? My pick this week is Fantastic Four number 32, which is the second appearance of the Super Scroll. Um, his, first oh, uh, his first appearance was in a much more expensive Fantastic Four number 18, which is a great book if you can afford it. Uh, the cheapest version I our copy I saw on eBay is over $300, so... Uh, yeah, I was kind of, uh, I, I still want this book. I still want 18, but uh, 32, like I said, is the second appearance. It's the, it's the next best thing. Secret Invasion is coming. Uh, it's going to feature scroll, Scrolls more prominently. I, I could see Scrolls being, um, being a uh, antagonist in not only the, that movie, but potentially future movies as well. Um, he is, he, there is a, there is a possibility and, you know, I, I'm looking at this from a speculation standpoint, there's always a possibility that, um, he'll show up one of the fantastic four movies. He's definitely a, 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 a villain tied to the fantastic four. And he's, he's got superpowers from each of the four members and he's designed to be a foil for them. So he's, you know, if he's going to show up, it's going to be in, um, I'm sure there's going to be more than one fantastic four movie. Um, so, you know, <laughs> not well, hopefully better than the Foxes, Fox movies. Um, that's you know, this book is affordable, you know, take a chance on it. You can find Ross for it on eBay for around 70 bucks. Um, there was a, a recent sale for 9.6 in 2021 for $2,500. Really? Um, yeah, and, and it, it follows my rule of buy any Fantastic Four book from issue 50 and below. I, I think there's value in every one of those single issues uh obviously there are certain key number uh, books in that in that range but i think it's they're a safe bet to buy every one of those books and um you know they're never not printing any more of them and they are going to be uh, long-term collector's items and have a long-term value i would amend that to say buy any fantastic four book issue 102 or below stan and jack 
if they are oh, a stand back okay. book, you know, it's going to be, uh, you know, to be fair, 50 and below, you're right. That's really the classic era when, with the exception of Black Panther and 52, most mm-hmm. of the concepts and introductions were made in those issues. But, you know, there's still some stuff in the uh, uh, the back 50, uh, the monocle. <laughs> Uh, yeah, there are, there is, there is value in there. Uh, I forgot about 52. Uh, I may yeah. amend it to be 52 and, and, and back. Wyatt Wingfoot. Oh yeah. 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 You're right. Um, I think the, um, I think a lot of, of the iconic villains, um, are their first appearances are in that run. That oh, first sure. 50. Yeah. Um, so if you're looking for the first appearance of a variety of different uh, villains, you're going to want to to focus on those first 50 but you know there's tons of really good books in um all the way up to 102 a lot of doom appearances which you know i'm a big fan of and a lot of really good covers i mean just amazing covers that kirby did um is definitely worth your your uh your pickup agatha harkness is yes. yeah or something yes yes uh my underrated book uh is in response to me using crossfire the series as my underrated book last week i think i opened up a door i think i opened up a pandora's box because our good friend jason brownell brownell writes (laughs) john if you're doing an underrated series how are you not giving quasar his due newer (laughs) viewers won't know the weekly mention of your love for the character that's true i haven't mentioned quasar in a while I bought the full run on your constant recommendation, but you have never given the full run, the underrated treatment, only one single issue of the first Venomized cover. Jason, you're right. You've asked for it. Here it is. My (laughs) underrated book this week is Quasar, the series. Quasar ran for 60 issues between 1989 and 1994. That entire run, minus one fill-in issue written by Ron Mars, was written by Mark Gruenwald, probably my favorite Marvel writer. Yes, above stan i'm saying it i'm putting it out there now quasar got off to a rough start i will say the first 13 issues are kind of rough uh i can see why it was almost canceled mark could see why it was almost canceled (laughs) and got a fire lit under his butt and started a little series in within mini series within a series called journey into mystery with covers by jim lee todd mcfarlane uh, just, you know, trying to boost sales. And that's when the story kicks into gear. So when you read this, the first 12 issues or so, you're like, okay, yeah, all right, good. Stick with it because then it gets serious. Greg Capullo comes on board. Yes, that Greg Capullo as penciler. And uh, Cosmos in Collision is a great story that all the first two years of the book culminate in this uh, big cosmic adventure. I will not spoil it for you. This series has a few keys in it. It has that first Venomized cover where you can see uh, the worlds of what if. You see a little Venomized Thor there, the first time that ever happened. The first appearance of Infinity is part of the Cosmos in Collision. And there is a crossover uh, with a certain red garb speedster from another universe who can only recall his name as being something like Buried Alien. Who could that be? (laughs) Really? Yes. Oh, that's funny. Obviously, Mark Grunewald loved The Flash and loved DC Comics. And you see uh, he saved Barry Allen. He's in the Marvel Universe now. I won't spoil it for you, but you need to read this book. And let's not forget this classic cover of Quasar, 
which is an homage to Demi Moore's famous Vanity Fair cover, also homage by John Byrne on She-Hulk. Mm-hmm. Why is Quasar pregnant? I'm not going to spoil it for you. you got to read this book. Quasar is available full runs on eBay for less than 100 bucks. I say if you love comics, you love reading comics, you want a good run that you'll finish. Uh, the new. If you love the new universe, DP7, it gets resolved resolved in Quasar. The whole new universe comes over to the Marvel universe in Quasar. I, didn't know that. I did not know Yes. That. So many reasons. Mark Grunewald loved comics. He loved comics and every panel, cut out or not, of this series oozes love of the medium. So my underrated book this week is indeed Quasar. Excellent. Excellent. Is that all you have to say? <laughs> no, it's a good pick. It's it's definitely uh, it's definitely a John pick. <laughs> yes. So thank you, Jason. Thank you. And on that note, we're going to wrap it up for this week. Richard, remind everyone where they can find us, please. They can find us at Bronze and Modern Gods on Facebook and Instagram or bronzeandmoderngods.com, the website. And we will catch you next time. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Everybody stay safe. 